Hey, everybody. Welcome to the virtual roundtable with Which Way is Up. Tonight, we're going to talk about um, isolation and loneliness. It is our hope that through this conversation with some of our good friends that we're going to uh, open some doorways for you. Maybe you've experienced isolation and loneliness just in day-to-day life, and you've wondered where and how is a safe place to talk about it. Can we talk about that kind of stuff at church? Really, Pastor Doug? Yeah, we can. Because here's what we've recognized. We all have stuff. Everybody in this room has stuff. Everybody that's watching has stuff. Everybody who's sitting in the pews at church or you're doing life with has stuff. That, in part, is what sparked us to do this month-long church-wide series, Which Way is Up? Because we recognize that what we need most to do is talk about it, to be honest, to speak into our stories, to uh, come alongside each other, to look for ways that we find hope in the context of our beliefs, um, and to just be an agent of God's healing. So one of the best ways we thought to do that was just to gather together people who had these stories and to begin talking about it. So I hope that um, tonight you'll find this really helpful. Uh, Just a a moment of uh, honesty. These are some of our very best friends. This is my uh, sweet wife, Wendy, and Vic and Hannah and us have done life together for a really long time. Um, I was really tempted to make up like just some really kind of ooey gooey BSy kind of introductions, <laughs> but I'll, I'll just keep it straight and clean and then we'll fill in the rest later. So uh, Vic is uh, one of my very best friends. He is a uh, doctor. He has been different varieties of doctors. He was at time an OB-GYN and is now uh, an addictionologist. That's a real thing, right? That's a real thing. Okay. And has uh, had private practices here in the North Texas area, and right now is a big wig up at Hazleton Betty Ford in Minnesota. And uh, look forward to hearing from him. His partner, Hannah, Hannah Musa, is a psychiatrist and is also a mom, and uh, Vic's also a dad and a grandpa. And... um, in addition to doing life here, just up the road, uh, is a um, Air Force veteran, psychiatrist, who served and took care of uh, soldiers in Afghanistan and had a whole lot of uh, big events, scary events, uh, trying to just keep everybody's heads on straight, right? That's probably an understatement. Um, Wendy Gale Kernmeyer, my sweetheart, uh, what you guys maybe don't know about her is she was at one time a real bigwig with Microsoft, and she sold a lot of their products, and um, they oohed and awed over her, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's also an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, and she uh, teaches here in Louisville ISD at Killian Middle School, and she puts up with me. So there you go. So we're going to just jump right into this, and uh, part of what that means is tonight we're going to wrestle with isolation and loneliness what the heck they are, and how do they um, contribute to our mental well-being. So I, I gave Hannah a little bit of a forewarning because I'm, I'm just really curious about, so you get sent to Afghanistan, and um, that's a little ways from home, and there you are. I'm imagining at times you were lonely. You're physically isolated. How, um, what the heck? How did that, how did you make sense of all that? Yeah, so it was a an exciting adventure um, that I was anticipating some loneliness and some isolation. Um, as an Air Force physician, I was dropped into 
um, army units that were cohesive, that trained in the United States together and then deployed to Afghanistan um, together to do a mission that they had been training for for years. Um, how the Air Force inputs um, physicians and psychiatrists specifically is into these army units to help assist in their mission. So I was essentially kind of dropped into um, the theater with lots of people I didn't know with a job I knew. Now, um, as a mental health provider, I am, you know, kind of used to kind of being dropped into places and, and looking for those who might um, be in need. But as a caregiver, and Vic might speak to this um, a little bit later on, and you guys as well, um, sometimes it's hard to know when we have needs. We're so busy looking for everybody else's needs. We, we have a really hard time figuring out, you know, oh, wait a minute, this is a sign that I might have a need that's not being met. Um, I left home, three little ones. My youngest was two and my um, oldest was eight. Um, and that was really difficult. And I knew that was probably gonna be the hardest thing for me to manage. Are they gonna be taken care of? How is everything gonna happen with that? So um, flew in to Afghanistan, kind of started right away. My job was to take care of um, individuals who maybe were showing some signs of stress or isolation themselves, feeling lonely and determine whether or not they were capable of staying in Afghanistan or not, or did they need to head back home? Um, I found myself really quickly isolating. Um, as an officer, kind of dropped into these working units, I didn't have really any peers. And so I was in my office tent and I would go to eat in the DFAC and I would work out and I'd come back to my tent. Like that's what I did. Um, and I found that isolation led to loneliness within weeks of arriving. Um, after the tension, I mean, the stress of just being there, the bombs and the evacuations and the, all of the, the stress of being there um, added to that loneliness really setting in really quickly. So the other interesting thing, um, so Hannah went away to Afghanistan. Vic, mm -hmm. uh, in a family decision, moved medically to uh, Minnesota. And so uh, that's a little ways north of Denton, right? <laughs> 980 miles. 980 door -door. miles, 14 right. and a half hour drive on a good day. Or I forget how many hours it was in snow that day. But um, so let's just jump forward a little bit. Did you have any experience? And we can all chime in on this after Vic answers. But um, I'm, you're lonely. You're isolated. Did it get in your head? Did you live differently, eat differently, sleep, drink differently? How did it have a physical manifestation? Or did it have a physical manifestation? Physical manifestation for me when I first moved up to Minnesota, trying to figure out how we were going to coordinate time to talk with each other what that was going to look like, what communication was going to be. Um, I initially went up there and, and took really good, took really pretty good care of myself physically. Uh, we had the dogs and I would get out and walk and, and it was snowy and, and I, you know, would get out on cross country skis and, and that was fun. And then the thing of COVID happened within weeks of me moving up to Minnesota. And so all of a sudden the dynamic that I was going to have of flying back to come back two or three weekends a month and come spend time with family went away. And 
that was we didn't know what that was going to look like and i think um i'm i'm in recovery uh and and yet there are some things that i can still do impulsively and and compulsively and eating is one of those Uh, i go to sugar and simple carbs at the drop of a hat uh, and that has been sort of a pattern of, of the isolation and the loneliness of, of being up there. And um, I, I suspect that if I were to be honest about my alcohol consumption, I, I, I don't know that I drink too much, but I know that I drink more than I used to. And that's, a, um, that's something that I, I need to, to just say out loud is, is one of those coping uh, mechanisms. Don't want to call it a coping skill because it's anything but skillful. Um, but it's, but that's one of the things. And, um, and you know, I, the depression of being far away, I, I find I'm not terribly motivated to go exercise. I talk about wanting to and talk about needing to. And, and that's been, that's been one of those things that, um, Hannah and I talk about what's, What's getting in the way? What's what's getting in the way is that my I'm just not as energetic and not as uh, as eager, and yeah. I and I think that's part of that's being far away. I, plus, I don't like to get out and go sweat and do anything unless I've got somebody to do it with me. You know, I, I, doing it alone just is is not. If I can drag you along and get the hand or, or go chase Hannah on a bicycle, I that that's not that's nice. And when she comes up there. All of those things that that I tend to eat better, I drink less and exercise more when when we are together. Those those things work. It it, it really does. And being alone, I kind of get into my pity party. Me and the dogs build fire and <laughs> have a glass. You of know, red I don't wine. think you're alone there. I think uh, I am intrigued, and I, we're not going to solve it tonight. But that there are people who manage that. Like I'm convinced that like if I uh, I lived alone. I would eat too much, drink too much, sleep too much. Um, and in part, it's kind of this, like, I just have this visible, uh, like a cave. I just pull in my cave. I'd go give all day and then come home and just, you know, deal with an empty tank. So, Wendy Gale. So, Vic and Hannah have stories of physical distance and isolating that then contributed to loneliness. Do, have you had an experience of loneliness that didn't include a trip to Afghanistan or Minnesota? I have. Tell me about it. Um, I've had two big instances as I've been thinking about isolation and loneliness, and one of them involved the loss of a job and uh, staying home every day and not knowing what to do with myself. And the other one is not so much a loss of a job, but it, it is a loss, but it was the, the transformation or the, the, the changing of a job, and that was whenever we, uh, a year ago in March, went home for spring break with um, from classes and never went back and stayed home until the beginning of this year as far as teaching remotely and dealing with the end of the year remotely and all of that it was just a real like what do I do how do I do this I am really good in a classroom I feel very comfortable in a classroom but what do I do you know um, across from a computer screen to get children to get students engaged and it was it was really hard and in both of those scenarios, um, I had to deal with the loss of what I had that I really loved, a job, and then a, uh, I guess, a, a platform to do my job. 
and it was really very hard. And I'm an extreme extrovert. And so I know that surprises you. <laughs> and so being isolated for me is being away from peers and being away from the students and being away from the life that I know. And it manifests itself for me in depression by just staying home. So I watch way too much television. I get inside my head way too much. Um, I During COVID, I made myself go for walks. And so that was when you could take off your mask and walk outside. And that was very refreshing and very good. So my health picked up a, little, a bit at, at that time. But um, I just, I sink into um, looking for alternative realities, which is whatever on television and watching things on television and just kind of living into that reality. But I get so sleepy and tired because it's not energizing at all. I think I am a converted introvert. I think early on in my life, I was an introvert. And even in early in ministry, I was kind of an introvert. And by that, I met like, I, I just felt, always felt safer alone than being vulnerable with other people. And then somewhere over time, especially in my last years in recovery, I think I've become more of an extrovert because I'm not as scared of pleasing you or you finding out some kind of something going on in my life. So I do wonder if, uh, and again, we're not going to be able to solve this tonight, but the whole introvert, extrovert, um, hold that over and against isolation and loneliness and coping skills. You know, I make up, for instance, that our friends who are introverts uh, might have done just fine. <laughs> it might have just really coped well and liked it. Uh, we have a, a, a boss here that loves, who's an introvert, uh, Pastor Daniel. And, uh, you know, if nobody needs to talk, talk to him, he'll be just fine. If I go a whole day without talking to somebody, I will go stir up something, just talk to somebody, you know? I think one of the important things that I have found as I've grown into my adulthood is that whether or not I am physically isolated from other people, though I would much prefer to be in communion and community with people around me, right beside me, touching me even, um, when I am, when you spoke to earlier, um, being lonely, even in a crowded room or with a group of people, um, when I am not vulnerable or transparent in those crowded spaces, I feel really lonely. Um, and I remember kind of one of the loneliest times for me, Afghanistan being part of that, but one of the loneliest times for me was as I went in to medical school and residency, um, I felt like um, what some people call um, an imposter syndrome. Like how could this little old poor girl from South Texas be smart enough to in this room with all these doctors. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? So I spent a lot of time hiding who I thought, I, hiding myself because I thought I needed to be something else. And those are some of the darkest memories and years I have because I was so afraid to be vulnerable and transparent with the people around me. Though I'm certain there were people there who were willing to hear and see me I wasn't willing to let them see me. And so, and, you know, as I 
you know, grew and matured and had some relationships that were real and true and saw that it was powerful to be vulnerable with other people and that I was my biggest critic and judge. And the worries I had about other people judging me were mine, not in fact what they were going to judge me for. Um, That allowed me to be in space with people and be vulnerable with them. And that really started to shift the tides for me in regard to loneliness in, in crowded spaces with other people. I think you're onto something there with the whole uh, prescription of vulnerability. Like if, if we were talking to ourselves or somebody, um, and I can imagine being so in a funk about isolation or loneliness that you don't know where to start, but to say, well, go practice vulnerability, yeah, whatever. But it is in that vulnerability, like the 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 risk reward quotient is out of this roof, off the you know off the charts, right? Like I make up, and I know all of us well enough to know that those times we have um, dived into the pool of vulnerability, it's had amazing consequences. And I'm sure there's people who have chosen vulnerability and it's not been as positive, but in our journey, our maturity, our growing upness or whatever, that vulnerability began to have a draw into and out of, out of the loneliness and into community. One of the things I think stops us from being able to be vulnerable is shame and fear. Two, two things. Um, because I remember when I lost my job and I lost my identity, I lost so much that I was ashamed to uh, be in community, to be um, uh, where I used to be. And it took a long time, and uh, thankfully recovery helped a great deal with that But because it, it was a big journey to get from that shame and that fear to a place of feel, of feeling that I could be honest and transparent and vulnerable, and be able to share my story, and um, not be as isolated and be as lonely as I had been. That others would receive my story and receive me, because I was loved and I was worthy and um, I was honest. Baker, Hannah, did y'all ever have a similar experience where shame? Uh, opened the door for isolation. Oh, it for sure. And and um, you know, Doug, you and I go back thirty eight or thirty nine years, and there was a time when we both were masters at projecting the image that we thought people wanted of us, needed of us. That was that's what we did, and in in different ways being human beings we we held on to this um this idea that if people really knew us they they couldn't and wouldn't love us and so we would be at at our shiny best in a big crowd and feel lonely and that loneliness was uh came from that that sense of shame that you talked about that that if I was to be really vulnerable and let somebody know um, who I am or what's going on with me or how scared I am to, to be known, that if I were to say that, I would die. I mean, it was, it's that existential kind of a, kind of a thing. And um, 
you know, as a consequence of my my addictive behaviors, which which had to do with uh, in inappropriate relationships and had to do with sexuality and had to do with pornography and a whole bunch of things that are that are really hard to uh, hard to say out loud uh, in when you're trying to maintain an image, when I was trying to maintain this image of, of who I was, those were things that, that I, I couldn't say and, or wouldn't say out loud. And then the communities around which I had the shame uh, that if they knew when things exploded and they did know, I, I relinquished privilege to some of those places church, community, a marriage, uh, for a while relationships with daughters and relinquish the, the privilege of, of place of who I was as in, in the medical group that I had started. Um, you know, the shame, meta shame, shame on top of shame. And, and out of that, the craziest thing happened, and that was when I learned to start saying, hi, my name's Vic, and I have sex addiction. And I would be around other people who would say, hey, Vic, really? Really? And out of that, that transparency of, of being able to start saying things that were real and that were true and yet that didn't define me. You know, and, and the thing that I, I keep coming back to now is this loneliness that I feel, this isolation that I feel, um, it doesn't define me. And all I have to do to punch through that is just get on the phone and talk and say, hey, Hannah, there's th- I did something today I don't want to talk about, don't want anybody to know about, but, but this is the silly thing that I'm doing today. That, that shame, it's amazing how when we speak what is real and what's true and we are vulnerable, Understanding that we have to have boundaries around where we make ourselves vulnerable. I mean, that's yeah. That's I think a, that I think that can be a really hard thing when we talk about vulnerability, right? And it's kind of pop culturey to talk about vulnerability and transparency and let's be vulnerable. But it's really hard to know who you can trust to be vulnerable with. Being vulnerable and transparent doesn't mean I'm vulnerable and transparent with everybody I see, my Starbucks barista and the girl who sits across the, you know, the the cubicle from me. Um, transparency and vulnerability are in um, shades. And, you know, I think learning how to trust ourselves to trust other people or to know who is trustworthy, who can hold our vulnerability for us and with us um, and cherish it um, as, as a gift. I think that is the really hard part, because when we find that, then the vulnerability isn't so difficult, right? Because we find a warm, open space. So like Vic, you were talking about walking into a meeting and saying, Hey, you know, this is who I am. And people there saying, we're glad you're here, Vic. We're glad you're here today. And to, um, and to (laughs) make me cry, um, to, to not feel, you know, have that shame come back at us because a lot of times we're around so many people who themselves feel like imposters or themselves are holding up a shield of impenetrability and they will bounce our vulnerability back at us like a knife. And um, not because they want to shame us, but because they're protecting themselves from whatever they're shameful for. So yeah, I, th- no, I get it. And I think you have to, um, 
You don't walk into Tom Thumb and announce, hey, I'm here to be vulnerable. <laughs> Meet me over by the melons. Let's talk. But it is earned. It's tr- it, it is, uh, you know, everything I just see is like, uh, like, gosh, we all just keep growing up, don't we, emotionally in, in all these different ways. But it is uh, a trust that I get as a gift from you and I give back to you as a gift, right? We also know, and it doesn't take but a couple of times for that vulnerability to have then been compromised, that we, you know, we quickly learn like we did when we were kids that the stove is hot. So then you pretty dang quickly, right? We've all done that. We've all shared a story that we've heard come back around and think, where did it, oh, I told thus and so. You know, I was, I was thinking about, like, uh, my experience in uh, 12-step groups with pornography was uh, just the shock that it could be said out loud. That there was that there really is a safe place, but everybody went there knowing that we were creating a safe place. Does that make sense? That it was already defined, and that there are kind of uh, ground rules for safety. So, um, I, I like where we're going with this, in that vulnerability is a uh, a prescription for loneliness and isolation, yet handled with care and probably with a professional. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't don't jump in the deep end right off the bat. Let's uh, let's shift gears for a minute and, and imagine um, loneliness in a crowded room. You know, I think um, a lot of people experienced loneliness in all sorts of ways during COVID. I think people continue to experience loneliness in unhappy marriages, in unhappy relationships, um, and I wonder what's the next best thing to say to somebody who feels like that's their story and that they don't know where and how to to get out or did what maybe not even get out like what the hell Meyer? what do i do next what do you think i think uh tell someone you've got to share that with someone so i think for me the first thing i i would would expect or would share with somebody as far as advice would be to find some one person that you can trust, that you can tell this to, because a lot of times just telling it or saying it out loud and uh, acknowledging what is can help you sort of tame the beast. And so perhaps that person can then brainstorm some ideas on what to do the next time you find yourself in a situation where you're feeling lonely in a crowded room. What do you do? Who, who, how can you identify someone to go and talk to or um, give you a, some sense of strategies that you can uh, uh, try? But I think we have to say it out loud and get outside of ourselves and trust someone a health professional, a friend, a family member, somebody that will listen and be respectful and be that sounding board for uh, brainstorming ideas on how to approach that next opportunity. You know, um, so I, before I had the joy of marrying Wendy, I was married to my ex-wife, Susan, for 32 years. And as that marriage uh, ran out of gas, tanked, got broken and unfixable, I, I can only speak for me, but it was a very lonely time. There was a lot of emotional isolating. And, um, you know, I look back at that now, and I don't know that it was uh, 
retrievable or fixable, but I can see all the different things that I did that contributed to uh, her feeling isolated and lonely, my feeling isolated and lonely, and not having, you know, uh, the wherewithal to call out for a resource when, in fact, we lived in the belly of resources. You know, we all know people, right, who know people who know people who are marriage counselors and therapists and helpers and doctors and psychiatrists. And it felt um, um, terrifying to figure out, like, like, uh, like I kind of, I, I like people who go, not like, I'm in, I admire people who go into those huge mazes, like, you know, the corn mazes that are popular in the fall? Um, but to me, the thought of getting in there, uh, it felt like being lost. And, like, I don't, I don't know how to get out of this. I can't think my way out of this. And I wasn't brave enough then to feel my way out of it. So I gave up. And then I think eventually Susan gave up because I gave up. But uh, I have a lot of empathy for people who go home and even go to bed with somebody and don't even talk to that other person. Don't know them, don't. You know, I'm sure we went days without ever even talking. So you and I, our our journey uh, around 2009 and 2010 had a lot of of synergy that was happening, and I I think that that what we've talked about in terms of the loneliness is in being in relationships where we weren't present for the relationship, uh, for all the things that were going on inside, and then the consequences that had rolled for the, some of the things that we'd done just caused us to not be able to connect with, with our partner. And, um, and it didn't have anything to do with, with loving that person or not loving that person. It had to do with acting in ways that were supportive of a love relationship. So what we did in, in, in our own attempt to maintain this vision of, of who we were was we isolated because we didn't want to be known. It, we were afraid everything would fall apart. And in doing so, we just created our more loneliness and more loneliness. And, and I, was at the, um, I was at the loneliest of places um, when I was in treatment the second time. And you and Susan came out. And, um, and I owe you an amends for something. And I've, I've said this before, but I'll say it again right now. In my loneliness and in my learning to be transparent and that healing me, I decided that you needed some of that too. And I dragged you into the soup with me and I said, and, and you and me are really the one and the same. And you weren't ready to hear that then. No, I wasn't. I, I remember and, thinking, <laughs> I don't think I'm strong enough, but I'd like to punch him in the nose. <laughs> and I didn't. And so maybe, you know. No, you didn't. And in fact, you wrote in my big book that you would be my friend always and you wouldn't run away and you'd hurt if it came to that. So for people that don't know, Wendy and Doug, as, as pastors, uh, married. Wow. What a great place we've come from, being that lonely. That lonely that we can yeah. have this together. Those were lonely, dark days, man. Yeah. They were, and we and and we went through those, figuring out how to not be lonely, even though, I mean, 
Mahia is <laughs> it's it's a lonely little place for those that uh, that haven't been there. If if you're if you're the newcomer and you move in, it's a uh, it's kind of a, a hard place to be. And and yet in that in that season of our life where we were able to be vulnerable for one another, uh, we th- we thrived both together and and in that community. And we learned we learned how to have honest relationships. And look at the look at what that's about yeah anybody even even though at the beginning we really didn't know what the hell we were doing we just kind of all stumbled along and then we began to put pieces together but I i think that's the beauty in it right we people may look at us and say well here's a two doctors and a, a, a professional and who became, who started a second career and who's now a teacher and a pastor. And, you know, they have all this education and they know how to do it. The reality is, is that we fumbled our way into it. We fell and scraped and bumped and, and just kept trying. I wasn't in Afghanistan, but I have war wounds. So absolutely. Uh, this is, this is after years of getting it wrong and denial and making huge mistakes and really coming clean and, and being honest about who I was and what I was about and what kind of life I wanted to live. And uh, it's, a, it's a big journey. It's a huge journey. So. so where today do we find hope? Whether it's a spiritual practice, whether it's uh, riding a horse, digging in dirt, what do you do? What grounds you? What gives you, that fills your, air, your, uh, your lungs with hope? You know, I, it's always been my faith. I have, been a f- uh, I have always been a Christian since I can remember, and I have always turned to my faith in the times when I have been the most afraid. I remember in my 20s, I was um, in terrible, terrible credit debt. And just so afraid that, you know, I was going to get hauled off to jail. And, and so I remember praying one night that, you know, and hearing the Holy Spirit say, just cut those cards up. Just cut the cards up. And so that trust in doing that, and then, you know, I was able to, you know, find help and whatever. But I know that wherever I am in a dark, whenever I am in a dark place, and it doesn't feel like there's hope, and I... I know that God will not leave me there. And even the time when I lost my job and I was just doing nothing but laying on the sofa and cried all the time, I just kept thinking, God is just not going to leave me here. I can be um, sad and mourn and be remorseful and all these things, but this is not the end. This is is just a, a stopping point or a learning point for me that God will not leave me here. So scripture, prayer, um, the faith that I've always had my whole life, and I've been so blessed to have that, is what gets me through. Okay. Vic, how about you? So the uh, past year for me has been an, an interesting transition for having grown up in the church myself and, and um, having a great granddad with a bunch of greats in front of it named John Wesley DeVilbus. That was, uh, I was kind of, I was kind of steeped in the uh, in the Methodist tradition um, this past year when COVID came about and and I, I had started attending a, a little church up there um, didn't have Hannah I was up there tried to stay connected with uh, with a Sunday school class or a life group back here in in, in Texas uh, 
you know, using, using, what were we using? Zoom. I think Zoom, we were using maybe. Zoom. Um, I kind of got untethered. Um, and, and I think the thing that happened uh, in terms of the, the faith part, the faith practice, got uh, not replaced by, but, but supported by a, uh, the spiritual practice of having friends, small number of friends with whom I could be honest and who I could share and talk, uh, talk about things. And one of the things that has, um, has also worked for me is the connection to nature. It's a, that's a part of the spirituality. You know, Hannah and I, um, we, we share stories about animals that we're seeing and birds that are, that are up there. And right now is an incredible time. The, the river's running high, and I've taken a chair down. And so I, I'll go down with the dogs to the river and, and just, just sit by the river and watch the, watch the, the water go by and, and see the animals around. And, and I feel very connected uh, with, with God right now. And, and, and actually last week at Easter service, I went to, it was an outdoor service at the, the church up in Marine on St. Croix. And and it felt really good to be in a community of, of other worshiping individuals. That was that felt right. I have I have missed that, and I think that that missing that has been a part of the the loneliness for me. But but I I've not abandoned spiritual practice either. That's isn't it interesting how we can um, we can see God in nature and all these other experiences. Um, but then there is something rich and different about connecting with other people. They can both operate pretty darn well on their own, but there is a give and take that either they both have individually that they don't necessarily always transfer over. Hannah, how about you? You've been down here with three kids and life and I have. dogs and I have. and whatever. And um, I had a psychiatric practice, a private psychiatric practice that I closed in November. It was doing virtually from... March, when everything closed down, through no, the end of November, and so began seeing all of my patients virtually, like Wendy was seeing her students. And uh, in November, that even stopped. So I would go days without talking to or seeing another adult, right? I would see them when I dropped one of the kids off, and I would speak to Vic. We spoke often, but outside of my calls to Vic, I could go a couple of days without seeing another adult, which um, was difficult for me um, over the last couple of months. What has been my grounding force, and I'll use some of Vic's language because he has, he introduced me to this language, was for me, spirituality is very important. And I've had lots of different iterations of faith, uh, but spirituality is important. And for me, God shows up in the people that are around me. And I have um, <laughs> a couple of really amazing women who live on my street, um, one who was an administrator for a school and one who was a realtor, and we're completely different people. And they, um, God shows up for me in them in a let's have wine on the driveway or when it's going on the third day, when I haven't seen another or spoken, I've seen them at a distance, other adults. And I'm like, ah, but to actually speak to one. Um, and I, um, another really important practice for me is meditation. 
Um, and I use, there are all kinds of online apps on phone, smartphone apps. I personally use Insight Timer. I find it really super useful. It's free. Um, and I could do a guided meditation in five minutes. That really grounds me and kind of gets me focused on what is true and real right now today in my body, in the space around me, where I might start to get wrapped up in loneliness. I haven't seen Vic in two weeks and I haven't seen another adult in four days. And oh my gosh, the world is ending when I can say, wait, no, what's real and true? I have amazing relationships with lots of really good people. And even if I only have two really good relationships right now in this moment, that's all I need. And God is showing up for me in that. It allows me to then walk outside and I can, I, 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 um, I love Richard Rohr's book, The Universal Christ, and the idea that I that God is in everything. I can walk outside, I can see grass and flowers growing, and I can see the dogs running, and I can see birds, and I can see God in all of those things. And that has gotten me through some really difficult times over the last six months, for sure. You know, it's um, in ways that we don't often see, we're really fortunate people, aren't we? Whether it is just the luxury of walking out and sticking our feet in a, uh, what I make up is pretty dang cold river. It's still chilly. It is still chilly. Or listening to coyotes on the back part of the yard over there. Or, you know, uh, I know Wendy, we have, uh, we have uh, what we call cuddle time with our pets. And just the tactile experience of loving and being loved. It just reminds me all the time that God's everywhere. God's all around us. And uh, it is, for me, a gift to be able to share this God time with you guys and to share our relationships. And they remind me of hope and of, uh, of good. And there's been some suck, but they're mainly good. <laughs> and thank you all. Thank you for showing up tonight. And, um, you know, friends, I hope that uh, just being a part of our little dinner party here without food or a bottle of wine was, uh, was helpful for you. And just know that um, I love what you said, Hannah. Like, we might uh, at times look like we have our act together, but <laughs> Lord knows we're a hot mess sometimes, too. Mm -hmm. But we're, all, we're honest about our hot messness most of the time. My hope for you is that... Uh, Maybe one of us is the person you reach out to, and we can help you connect and just kind of begin to uh, find a safe place to, to tip your, stick your toe in the pool of vulnerability or to warn you, hey, bad water, <laughs> bad water, don't go over there. Because uh, we've all stuck our toes in plenty of bad water as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. Um, my friends here have also agreed to do a little bit deeper dive podcast with Alyssa. And uh, that's going to be online here in just a couple of days. And uh, I hope you'll check them out. There will be uh, ways to kind of see more about what they do and what they're about. So all of that said, I'm going to quit rambling and just wish you a really good evening. Take care. <laughs>